0: You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the Locked On Zags podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, ready to take you through another season of Gonzaga Hoops. First, I want to sincerely thank all of you for making this podcast your first listen of the day. Some of you have been with me from the beginning, back in the 2018-2019 season. Some of you are much newer to the show. Either way, I appreciate you all taking the time out of your day to listen and potentially watch, because as of now, this podcast is officially on YouTube. You can find the YouTube channel at Locked On Zags. Please, please, please. Hit the subscribe button on that. I really appreciate it. We're trying to get up to 100 subscribers uh, on the show. It's only been up for a couple of days. We had some tech issues, so we've missed an episode. We're back now. We're up on YouTube. would really, really appreciate all of you taking the time to hit that subscribe button. Check me out there as well. Alright, happy Monday, everybody. Depending on when you're listening to this, the Zags are 2-0. They got a date against Alcorn State this evening, a significantly, uh, hopefully less challenging opponent than the Texas Longhorns, although Gonzaga did not make that game against Texas look particularly challenging, which is the heavy emphasis on today's Mailbag Monday episode, of course. After they went up 20 going into halftime, ended up beating the Longhorns by 12 in a highly anticipated matchup between the number one and number five team in the countries. Just a reminder for those of you who want to get involved in Mailbag Monday, there are multiple ways you can do so. You can tweet at me at ScoreZagScore. Whenever you're thinking of a question, I'll write it up and I'll get it into the show. It helps if you tag it Mailbag Monday, but most of the time you ask me a question, I'm getting it up and into the show. Uh, I also tweet on Sunday morning soliciting questions at that Score account or on Zags. You can follow both accounts. You can respond to either of those tweets and I'll get your questions into the show. I also use Facebook and Instagram and email at andypatton 13 at gmail.com. Many of you submit your questions via email. It's an opportunity to uh, interact with me more. It's an opportunity to Ask longer questions or multiple questions all at once, something you may not have the space to do on Twitter. So, a good opportunity to do that there. All right, getting right into it. This first question comes from Yanks Zags on Twitter, who asks Is Drew Timmy the official President Lord of the Republic of Texas? Yeah, what an incredible performance. From Drew Timmy on Saturday evening, 37 points, 14 of 19 shooting. Uh, he looked absolutely incredible. From the opening tip, he scored the first points of the bucket or of the game, first bucket of the game, and just absolutely dominated from there on out. It was the Drew Timmy show, without a doubt. We kind of knew that it would be, you know, he's playing against Texas. He wanted to play this game in Texas. His family was in town. He's from Texas, obviously, uh, and he let him know. He really had an absolutely outstanding performance. Uh, one of the best single games that I've ever seen a Gonzaga player have, and we're going to talk plenty more about Chet Holmgren this next question comes from Darren Olson at HeavyDew44 on Twitter, who asks: Fran Fraschilla and John Skambin last night indicated they think Drew is a four-year college player with the NIL in place. It wouldn't shock me if Drew comes back for his senior season. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I heard this too, and I was a little surprised uh, at first. I kind of thought, oh, there's no way. But I thought about it a little bit more. It's definitely not crazy. I think Drew's NBA. Skill sets are just a little bit capped. I've said this before, and I don't mean this to be a super negative thing, but his style of play—that Kevin McHale comparison—that gets thrown out a lot uh, by broadcasters and by other Gonzaga analysts—it's just not really the style of play that fits in today's NBA. You know, and and he's not a big outside shooter. He's not a great. He doesn't move laterally very well defensively. We've seen improvements in both of those areas, which I think is going to help him uh, when he tries to carve out an NBA career. But I don't think, like, he's a guy who's who's going to succeed more in college than he is in the NBA. I don't think there's any doubt about that, nor is there any shame in that. So you could understand why maybe coming back for a fourth season and just cementing himself as one of the greatest college basketball players of all time, one of the greatest Zags of all time, he already is, but continue to cement that legacy. I could understand why that might be appealing to him. Frankly, I don't know that the NIL is a huge factor here. It certainly helps in that sense a lot, but like, Going to the NBA is going to pay a lot more money than the NIL deals that he's going to get. So, I don't, I, the choice is still going to be whether he wants to go, you know, chase his dream. His dream has always been to play in the NBA, I'd imagine. Chase that dream versus staying in college one more year. I don't know how much the money is necessarily going to be a huge role there, but uh, I would still guess that he probably goes after this year, but it depends how the season goes. If they bounce early and he wants to come back and compete for a championship, maybe he comes back. If they win at all, he's almost certainly going to leave. You know, it kind of just depends on, on how things shake out this season. Next question comes from Ozzy at Zagup Oz on Twitter, who asks Was it Texas's plan to take out Chet and let Timmy torch them? Like a pick your poison type thing? So, yeah, we're going to get into the Chet Holmgren questions now. There's quite a few of them. Chet Holmgren, of course, two points, five boards, one assist in that game against Texas. Uh, so, I'm going to answer this question no. Chet, Chris Beard and the Longhorns did not go into this game planning to let Drew Timmy, the National Player of the Year frontrunner, one of the best players in college basketball, their plan was not to just let him torch them and subdue Chet Holmgren. Chet, and this is going to come up a lot in today's episode, Chet is not an offensive force. That's not his game. Teams are not game planning against him as if he's this big offensive threat. And Gonzaga is not utilizing him as a big scoring threat. That is not who he is as a basketball player. I know it's weird to have the number one consensus number one recruit in the nation on your roster to have a guy who's going to get picked in the top five in the NBA draft and not think of him as one of the most important scorers on the roster, but he's not. He is a valuable prospect because of his defense, because of his shot blocking, his rebounding. Yes, the three-point shooting, and I wish we'd seen more of that, and we'll talk about that more as well, but teams are not going to game plan how to stop Chet Holmgren. It's not going to be a factor. Drew Timmy is the player they need to stop. Frankly, in this game, it is very simple. Gonzaga started going to Drew Timmy, Texas couldn't stop them. Story over. They continued to go to Drew Timmy, and they, I think the plan was we're going to give the ball to Drew Timmy until Texas capably stops Drew Timmy, and it just never happened. So they just kept giving him the ball. I don't know that there's a lot more to read into, read into it than that. However, there are some other questions on this topic. Strike Nowhere on Twitter, he suggested, should we be concerned with Holmgren's production? I don't want to say he's shrunk in the spotlight you did though. You did say that, <laughs> but it certainly seemed like he was being way too deferential to Timmy. Jim on Facebook had a similar question. He said Chet seems to defer quite a bit on offense. Do you see that as a trend? So I'm going to pick words with the phrase "way too deferential" because saying he was way too anything implies that it was a a the result was bad. The Zags went into halftime up 20 against the number five team in the country. They won by 12 in a game that was for say for maybe 90 seconds or so of a little bit of uneasiness early in the first half or early in the second half, there was no real threat of this game not going in the W column for Gonzaga against the fifth ranked team in the country. You can really, you can't really nitpick anything in that situation. If I guess to flip the question, had Chet been more aggressive looking for his shot Let's say he was unhappy with only having two points in the first half. In the second half, he comes out. He tries to score more. He takes contested shots. He puts the ball on the ground. He forces Drew Timmy to get away from the rim so that Chet can play down low. Would you have been happy with that? Because I absolutely would not have. Chet, or excuse me, Drew Timmy barely missed a shot this entire game, and Texas for some reason did not change the way that they tried to guard him. There was no reason for Gonzaga to do anything differently on that end of the floor at all. He was killing it. He was scoring at ease. Chet Holmgren taking a step back not being the offensive focal point when he has yet to be the offensive focal point at all this season and frankly probably will not be is not something that I view in any way shape or form as an issue in fact I view it as a positive thing he is here to help win basketball games he is not here to pump up his individual stats he is like Jalen Suggs in that way that is why these two are such huge pieces for this program Jalen was frequently not the leading scorer for the Zags. He was frequently not the second leading scorer for the Zags. That will be the case with Chet Holmgren, and I don't think we need to panic about that because he is here mostly for his contributions on the defensive end of the floor. This next question comes from a nice email from Larry via Gmail. He says, Timmy was the featured offensive star. Chet was quietly exposed. He puts in parentheses on the offensive end. Didn't seem in the flow as a wing on offense. Hardly touched the ball most trips. Defensively, he can use his length inside to intimidate and rebound on offense. He is and was easily moved out of position by bigger bodies. Against Dixie State and probably most WCC teams, he can go over the top, not against bigger and better bodies. His lack of weight may keep him on the bench in crunch time. Only one game... But NBA scouts had to downgrade him as a top big 2022 pick. Looks like he'll almost exclusively be on the wing on offense. Thus, he'll need to show his shooting range, passing, court sense, along with blocks and rebounds on the defensive end. Maybe he needs six big meals a day and two years in Spokane. So I'm going to basically disagree with all of this. I got to be completely honest here. Um, Exposed on the offensive end, I don't think so. It's not like he missed a whole bunch of shots. He just wasn't utilized on the offensive end. Didn't seem in the flow as a wing on offense. I don't really know... What this means, uh, for a couple reasons. One, he wasn't really being utilized as a wing on offense. That's not really the position that he was playing. Uh, the flow of Gonzaga's offense was the soonest we can get the ball into Drew Timmy's hand on the block, and then we just wait for him to shoot. There was that—that that was the whole flow. There, Chet Holmgren didn't look any more out of place in that than anybody else in my mind. Uh, Hardly touched the ball. Yeah, that's because Drew Timmy touched the ball basically every time. Um, it says he was easily moved out of position. It happened a few times, but I think people were really intensely looking for it because they were just ready to to say that he's not ready to to play at this level. It felt like there was a lot of kind of. Expectation that he would fail in that regard, and confirmation bias. People who were prepared to say Drew Chet Holmgren is not ready to play against good teams indicated that they saw, that that's what they saw. Whereas people who expect him to be good didn't see that. It's kind of a Rorschach test test for that. Um, also, against bigger and better bodies is just not accurate. Texas's tallest guy was six nine. Dixie State's tallest guy was also six nine. Like they're, they're, <laughs> this team is a little bit they're better. I mean, there's no no disagreement there, but. I just think that that's another confirmation bias. Think pe- Things people wanted to see, and so they saw it, but it didn't necessarily happen. Uh, his lack of weight, keeping him on the bench in crunch time is absolutely not going to happen. That is insane to me, to be perfectly honest. He's the best defensive big man in the country. He will be on the floor in crunch time because of his rebounding ability, because of his shot blocking ability. That is just going to happen. There's no doubt in my mind that he will play in big time minutes unless he is fouled out of the game. Uh, and if NBA Scouts downgraded him in any way, shape, or form after this game, they should lose their jobs. That's the, the the honest truth here. He did not, yes, he didn't have a huge game statistically. I understand that. but he 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 helped his team win. He grabbed multiple rebounds. He impacted a ton of shots in the defensive end against good players. Yeah, there was a few times he got exposed. Trey Mitchell got up and underneath him a little bit, got him a bite on some pump fakes, and got him into some foul trouble. That's going to happen. Freshman bigs get in foul trouble. It's just a reality of the situation. It should not impact his draft stock at all. Also mentioned his shooting range passing court sense. We, yeah, we haven't seen the shooting range. I've acknowledged that. But his passing has already proven to be very good. His court sense has already proven to be very good. He's an elite shot blocker, an elite rebounder. He has not done anything. And this game... This game did not do anything to change my view of him as a draft sock player, or I'm almost positive any NBA scouts view of him as a potential player at that level. Uh, and the idea that he could potentially be in Spokane for two years is, is frankly laughable. It's just not going to happen. Uh, every time Jalen Suggs didn't have his best game, people talked about him could potentially coming back for a second year. I don't know if it's just wishful thinking. I don't know if other fan bases do this about their one-and-done guys, but it's not going to happen. Chet Holmgren is going to go to the NBA this year. He's going to be a top-five pick. He's going to have games that are much more statistically impactful than this game, but the fact that he took a back seat, let Drew Timmy do his work, and helped get this team a commanding victory over number five team in the country says only positive things about him in my mind. All right, that's a wrap on our first segment. Coming up, we're going to answer even more listener-submitted questions all episode long. Before we do that, though, I want to tell you about PrizePix. PrizePix is daily fantasy made easy. I love this app, and I know that you will too. PrizePix is a leader in college sports daily fantasy. They offer more college football props than anyone in the world and offer all the all-star players from not only the Power 5 schools, but from your favorite mid-major programs as well. New users that deposit and use the promo code LOCKEDON will receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100. PriceFix allows mixed-sport entries, so you can take the over on Chet Holmgren combined with the under on Patrick Mahomes in the same entry. Use the award-winning app on both the App Store and Google Play. Entries can be made in 60 seconds or less, it is that easy. Don't hesitate. Check out pricepicks.com and use promo code LOCKEDON or go to your app store and download the app today. Price Picks is daily fantasy made easy. All right, segment two, more listener-submitted questions. We kind of got most of the Chet Holmgren drew Timmy, drew Timmy questions out of the way, but that was obviously a big talking point after the Texas game. This next question, similar topic from Motorhead on Twitter. He says, is there any team... With a front court that can challenge ours? Uh, the really short answer to those questions no, <laughs> there's not. This is the best front court in the nation, and it's partly obviously Drew Timmy and Chet Holmgren are the biggest parts of that. Anton Watson looked incredible in this game. Uh, he's probably the best sixth man in the country, definitely the best backup big man in the country. We didn't even see Ben Gregg and Caden Perry, but they're pieces who could be contributing this year as well. Timmy's the best offensive big man in the country. There is absolutely no debate about that. Kofi Cockburn is very good. There are other guys who are really good. He's the best one. Chet Holmgren is the best defensive big man in the country. There are people who might argue with that, and because he's a true freshman, I can understand that. But talent-wise, by March, he will be the best defensive big man in the country. Both of them have some work to do on the other end. We talked a little bit about it with Chet. He hasn't shown that outside shooting and some of that stuff that we'd like to see from him yet. Hasn't had opportunities to, but still needs to prove that. Drew has gotten a lot better defensively he's worked very very hard to be adequate on that end of the floor it's still not a strength of his and that's okay but just the the simple the offensive timmy the defensive home grin the fact that both of them are capable on the other end of the floor as well it's not close michigan duke illinois they're good they got good deep front courts but they they do not stack up to gonzagas next question comes from christian via gmail says three-point shooting the zags were seven for 19 from beyond the arc in the texas game This is in comparison to 6 of 18 last year in the Kansas game. Also, obviously, Gonzaga's first game of the year that year. They won both games by 12 points. What are your thoughts and takeaways on this? And then he says, you had mentioned previously that you thought fewer attempts would be the best course of action. How many attempts would you like to see the Zags average from behind the three-point line? Yeah, obviously, that depends what the defense gives them. I think we're going to see a lot of zone this year. That's something that I expect. We did not see that out of Texas. Texas played their their aggressive man defense while trying to take players away from the middle of the court, which frankly probably did have an impact on Chet Holmgren's ability to contribute. But they other teams will probably pack in, pack in tight 2-3 zones. In those games, I think we might see more three-point shooting. We might see Chet stretch it out a little bit. We'll see more from Julian. We might see a little bit more from from Hickman or Hunter Salas. Obviously, Richard Bolton, 7-10 for 10 on the season, an incredible start from him beyond the arc. I wouldn't I don't think 7 for 19 feels awful. I wouldn't like to see them shooting more than 22 often. 15 to 20 is probably the right range, but again, it's really just dependent on the defense. This game, they took 19 threes, very few of them from what I remember were were bad shots. They they were in rhythm, they had open looks, they were taking open threes. That is that's more what matters to me. It would be frustrating to see Gonzaga settling for threes when they should be trying to get the ball down low, but obviously in this game, that was not an issue. They Every down, time down the floor, they tried to get the ball into Drew Timmy, and if they continue to do that and it happens to lead to 19 opportunities to shoot some threes, that's totally okay with me. I don't think that that's a bad number for them. Next one is also from Christian. He says, Undoubtedly, you will get questions about the rotation. Spoiler alert, I am. Uh, yep, <laughs> that's what we're going to get to after this. He says, Coach Few elected to get the lion's share of minutes to the experienced players. Nemhard played 40, Timmy 38, Bolton played 32. This is lockstep with previous years and no surprise. Who, it's a surprise to some people, Christian, I'll tell you that right now. It says, Who do you believe will ultimately play comparable minutes to the three listed above? Part of this for me is that the game plan was to keep going until Timmy keep going to Timmy until it stopped working and it never stopped working. Yes, very astute on the last point. That's kind of what I've been saying. Uh, I think those three guys, Nemhard, Timmy, and Bolton are the only guys who average 30 per night. That's kind of where I'm at with that. I think Holmgren will be next. Uh, I think he's going to probably be around 30 per night. I think we're going to see some foul trouble potentially limit him some games. He had four fouls in the second half of this game. If I am going to criticize Chet Holmgren, that would be the criticism. He left his feet too many times. He got... He 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 just he got outworked by guys who have a lot of experience in college basketball and knew how to pump fake and knew how to get him in the air. That's things that happen to freshmen. That'll happen. That might limit him to more in the 25, 28-minute range. Gonzaga's very comfortable with Anton Watson playing big minutes, so I think he'll probably be up in the 25, 28-minute range as well. More on days that Chet or Drew get in foul trouble. Julian Strother's probably next, but I'd be surprised if he plays 30 minutes per night. He's not a very good defensive player. He could improve. He will improve. I'm almost confident of that. But as of this, as of right now, he's not a great defensive player. Whereas Hunter Salas, Nolan Hickman, they are good defensive players. So I think we'll see them rotate in more in situations where Gonzaga needs defense more than offense. So I think those guys are, Watson and Strother, maybe 25-ish minutes per night. And that's kind of it. Everybody else will will play. You know, they'll they'll, they'll get some minutes. Certainly Hickman and Salas are going to be part of the rotation, but they're not going to play a ton. And so I really don't think there's going to be a lot of guys playing over 30 minutes per night. This next question, similar vein, from Dad Risk on Twitter. He says, "Does Hickman play over Strother, Does Hickman playing over Strother? Excuse me, down the stretch mean a lot or a little? Also, why is it that every year we come in touting our depth, just to ask two weeks later, do we have as much depth as we thought? Seems like us fans assume every question mark is going to turn out positive. So, I'm not sure. I, I'm not sure I buy completely the, do we have as much depth as we thought? Conversation. I, I don't think that's. I mean, it could be happening. <laughs> I don't see it happening all that often. I think." We have that depth. This is the deepest team Gonzaga's ever had. That has not changed. That has not changed. Certainly, some of the players that we're expecting to have really good starts haven't, you know, didn't have great games against Texas. It's one game. Julian Strother didn't do much against Texas. People who've been touting him as a potential guy who could leave for the league this year, which includes me, I'm not throwing anybody under the bus. Probably looked at that game and thought, ooh, ooh, okay, that's that's where the bottom could fall out there. He wasn't awful, he just he didn't do a whole lot. He's kind of one-dimensional, and when he's not doing the one thing, he becomes a little bit less uh, easy to to play. Chat obviously, we've t- discussed him at large, certainly, but I don't think this team has a lack of depth. Mark Few is just pretty rigid about how many players he wants to play. Getting back to the Hickman thing, I kind of touched on it a little bit. Nolan Hickman's a better defensive player. He is more well-rounded and more versatile in what he can do on the basketball court than Julian. Julian's a better three-point shooter, although if Hickman starts knocking down threes at a reliable rate, that could impact Julian's playing time. Now, Julian's obviously 6'7", Hickman's 6'2". Pretty big difference there. It depends on lineups and situations. But if you want a defensive presence on the floor at the end of the game, if you want to play lockdown defense, Julian Strother will not be on the floor until he proves he can be a very good defensive player. And it's not even that he's that bad. It's that Anton Watson is so good. It's that Nolan Hickman and Hunter Salas, as true freshmen, are so good already on that side of the floor that if you need a defensive lineup, Julian just doesn't play. So I think his minutes are going to be impacted by that a little bit. I think as a streaky shooter, if he's not shooting the ball very well, his minutes could disappear relatively quickly. doesn't mean that he's not as good as we think he is. It doesn't mean that he's a bust. It doesn't mean that our depth is... A problem. It just means that he's a little bit more one-dimensional, and on a team with so much talent, only being really good at one or two things could limit your playing time. Next question comes from Strike Nowhere. His second question of the show. He says, "Why wasn't Salas given more minutes versus Texas?" Because Marquise back, baby. <laughs> that's that's the primary reason. I was surprised when I looked it up and saw that Salas played four minutes. Four minutes. I, I didn't realize it was that low. You know, I knew he didn't come in much, but four minutes is, is pretty low. But Mark Few's back. He's the head coach now, and he he likes playing eight dudes. And Salas was one of them, but he did not play much. Nemhard's not going to play every minute this season. He played 40 against Texas. That's not going to happen. I think that most, that Nemhard taking less minutes probably makes more minutes for Nolan more than it means more minutes for Salas. Bolton's probably not going to play 32 every single game this year as well. So I think Salas will play more. But he is a true freshman. He is a good player on both ends of the floor, but he doesn't do anything really dramatically better than... maybe He's not better than Rasier Bolton. He's probably a little bit longer defensively, a little bit better on that end of the floor. But Gonzaga didn't need him. And, you know, maybe Mark Few kind of has that got-to-earn-it mentality. So he may have just been like... Hey, you know you're going to get a little bit of run here, but this is a game for this is a game for the vets. You know, this is a game that we need to win, so we're going to play the dudes who have experience. At you know, they've played power five schools before. Nemhard spent two years at Florida. Bolton spent two years at Iowa State. One year at Penn State. They've played these kinds of schools a lot. So I think that's probably more to do more what it had to do with than anything else. All right, two segments down, one more to go. Coming up, we're going to answer even more listener submitted questions. Before we get there, though, I want to tell you all about Bilt Bar. Bilt Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever, plain and simple. It is a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. Bilt Bar has nine delicious flavors, including some all-time favorites like raspberry, mint brownie, peanut butter brownie, coconut, and my personal favorite, salted caramel. Of course, Bilt Bar is not only great tasting, they are healthy too. Most Bilt Bar flavors have 17 grams of protein, 130 calories, and only 4 grams of sugar. Nine amazing flavors, all tasty and all healthy. Go to BiltBar.com now and use the promo code LOCKED15, and you'll get 15% off your first order. That's BiltBar.com, promo code LOCKED15, for 15% off your first order. All right, segment three, more listeners submitted questions a little bit. We're going to talk a little over Bolton. We're going to talk about a few other things that happened in this Texas game. Y'all wanted to talk... After that big game, and I understand why. It was, it was a fun one, no doubt about that. This first question comes from Christian via Gmail. He says, Rasir Bolton's efficiency has been impressive. What really impressed me, though, was Bol- Bolton's businesslike approach. At one point, he blocked a shot and had no reaction at all. Don't get me wrong. I love a good Timmy mustache celebration, but there is something about Bolton's approach and demeanor that is not only a good fit, but a calming presence. Yes, I do see what you mean. I am all for every dude celebrating every single thing that they want. I am very pro-fun. And I think that Drew Timmy is perhaps the most fun player I have ever seen in my career. He is an absolute blast. But you do need some balance. And I don't think that Bolton not celebrating is necessarily where that balance is coming from, but he has a calm demeanor. He has a business-like approach. I think both of those are very accurate ways to describe him. And he's got experience. He's been the man for two years at Iowa State, and he's lost a lot of basketball games. I think the fact that he has gone through that, that he has been the leader, the facilitator, really really helps him in this role obviously he's probably happy as hell to be winning basketball games I have no doubt about that but he knows what it's like to lose he knows what it's like to struggle he knows how to pick up his teammates how to be the person who helps the players around him maybe aren't feeling great who aren't having good games like he's gone through all of that and he he doesn't seem to be a super vocal leader but he's a great use like you said calming presence I think I've loved every single thing that we've seen out of Rasier Bolton so far. Genuinely, every single thing. He's been probably my favorite player to watch um, on this roster, specifically my favorite newcomer to watch on this roster. Next question, sticking with Rasier Bolton. This one comes from Austin King at Austin underscore King 52 on Twitter. He says, Will Rasir Bolton have the highest O-rating, offensive rating, on the team by the end of the year? Well, he is sure as heck off to a great start. His offensive rating right now is 175.4, which is ridiculously good. Next up is Nolan Hickman at 143.3. That's obviously in a much, much smaller role for Hickman. He's played far less minutes through the first couple of games of the season. Uh, yeah, I would not be surprised if Bolton leads the team in offensive rating. He's, he's, he's not going to shoot 70%. From downtown, like he has so far, he's seven for ten on threes, including one from about 39 feet. Uh, he's not gonna keep doing that. He, I think, there's a reasonable chance he's over 35, 36 percent, but he's, you know, he's not gonna be 70 percent. That would be unreal. Uh, But he's great at finishing around the rim. That's always been his strong suit. That was his strong suit at Iowa State. That was kind of the perceived strong suit for him this year. The outside shooting is just kind of gravy. He's also going to get a lot of fast break opportunities because he's one of the fastest dudes that I've ever seen on the basketball court. He also is a benefit of Gonzaga's quick hands on defense from Anton Watson, Hickman, Salas, all of those guys. He's going to get out on the fast break a lot. Those are easy buckets, help that O rating go up. He also is an outstanding free throw shooter. He hasn't missed one this year. He's an like 80-something percent guy. So he gets he gets to the free throw line a lot. He converts a lot of his free throws. He shoots well from three. Pretty good chance at the end of the year you're looking at a guy who's leading this team in offensive rating. Next one is another one from Christian. He says, I thought it would be interesting to compare Drew Timmy's performance to other big game performances throughout the history of the program. During the national broadcast, they brought up Adam Morrison and Roni Turioff. It might be fun to celebrate this moment and look back at other great moments in the team's history. Yeah, that, you know, this was kind of a, a topic that kind of floated around Gonzaga Twitter a little bit after the game, during the game, really. Um, tons of great individual performances to choose from. I think trying to weigh them in some kind of actual list is, is perhaps an off season task that I will take on. But it's hard to weigh. Like, this is a huge game because it was, the, you know, the biggest, highest, ranked program to come to Spokane ever like there's no doubt that this is a big game but it's not a tournament game it's not even a WCC tournament game like it doesn't have the same ramifications that those games do so any game that had more meaning is going to have more of an impact in my mind you know you look at like Adam Morrison dropping 43 against Oklahoma like that was a fantastic incredible game Again, not as not a super meaningful game. He also did that in two overtimes, but still a really impressive game. Kyle Wilcher dropping 45 against Pacific, awesome, super incredible game from him. Eh, it was against Pacific; they were going to win without it, but still super cool. Like, how does this compare to those? You know, it's it's it compares more to those than it compares to like. You know some of the really impactful tournament games. You know Adam Morrison dropped thirty-five against Xavier before his final game uh, against UCLA. Like that to me is more impactful. Demontis Sabonis absolutely working Jakob Purtle against Utah when they were an eleven seed in the upset of three seed. Like that to me is a more impactful impactful performance. Najee Williams got said twenty-three point six assists, five boards against South Carolina to send Gonzaga to the national championship. That is a more impactful performance to me. Grew to me against USC last year. Didn't have the total points, but was an absolute machine against Evan Mobley, one of the best defensive big men that has played college basketball in the last few years. That, to me, is a bigger game. So it's it's hard to compare. Again, maybe I'll make a full list sometime. If I do, I'll probably separate tournament and non-tournament games. If we're doing non-tournament games, this is, if not the top of the list, very, very high. 37 points, 19 shots. You know, shot over 70% from the field against a top five team, the only player to ever do that. Absolutely remarkable game from Drew Timmy, and one that we should be talking about for a very, very long time. Next question comes from Jacob Quarter at Jacob Quarter 2 on Twitter, who asks, with Texas being the highest highest rated team to ever enter enter the kennel, it got me thinking. Which team would you want Gonzaga to have a home and home series with in the future? Love this question. Always love answering it. UCLA and Oregon are always my top two choices. Keep it local. Play the West Coast teams. Pound down the Pac-12. UCLA, obviously, the way they've been playing the last two seasons are really the NCAA tournament and the start of this season because they didn't—they weren't great in the regular season last year. But they're, they're back. They're at the top. Mick Cronin's a good coach. That would be super fun. You know, they're, they're playing them this year. Obviously, it's going to be one of the most sought-after games in all of college basketball this year, without a doubt. It's coming up barely a week away, which is wild. That would be a blast. UCLA home and home would be great. Oregon, obviously, is the game everybody's always wanted for a super long time. Hasn't happened. Mark Fuse has his reservations about playing Oregon. They're a bit more streaky, so it's not always going to be consistent, but that would be a super fun one as well. Uh, North Carolina was fun. We'd love to bring that back. Duke, Kentucky, obviously, you know, the the true Titans, the true Blue Bloods would love to get Kentucky in the kennel. I think that'd be an absolute blast. Uh, I also personally, this isn't as big, but I love partnering with the Big East. I wish, obviously, geography wasn't as big of an issue to play more Big East schools, but Creighton, Marquette, Xavier, whomever, schools like that, I think would be fun. It's not as high profile. Like, I'd rather pick, you know, the more high-profile programs just because it's more exciting. But, you know, every time Gonzaga picks up, like, hey, we're going to play Creighton for a couple years, or we're going to play Xavier for a couple years, I'm going to be happy about that because I think those are cool matchups. Last question of the show. It's the final one from Christian as well. He says, as a fan who puts the basketball schedule up in a common hallway, I want to know, for the love of John Stockton, why there's not a better, easier, higher-quality way to watch the Zags when they are playing uh, Alcorn State or Bellarmine, those, those kinds of teams. The WCC network is not doing it for me. Shouldn't there just be a network that I can add to my cable package? I want to watch all the zag sports. We went to a volleyball game. The last time we were in Spokane, our youngest would watch all those games. There has to be a better way. Yeah, it's money. <laughs> it's, it's money. That's the thing. The WCC network, yeah, is a challenge. They have not done a good enough job making these games accessible for fans out of market straight up. I mean, that's a very legitimate criticism of the WCC network. It's a criticism of the Pac-12 network. It's a criticism of a lot of these places, short of being BYU TV, where you can afford to buy your own network and have basically all of your sporting events streamed. That, I mean, that's that's what you're asking for. Gonzaga, they, they don't have the money to do that. They don't have the resources to do that. It's a staggering amount of time and energy and money to, to make that happen. It would be great. I wish Gonzaga could find a better relationship with like a Root Sports or something like that. I wish Root Sports was less uh, restrictive with their stuff. (laughs) If you're a Blazers fan as well, you know that it has been a very huge pain to try to even watch Blazers games this year because of the partnership that they have with Root and because of Root's unwillingness to be available on most streaming services, very, very challenging. The way to consume sports right now is pretty messy all across the board, to be honest. It's not good. Gonzaga's caught in the middle of it in a lot of ways. I'm glad they have a lot of games on ESPN. That's easy for people to get for the most part. You know, they're going to have some nationally televised games on other networks as well, which is good. But yeah, the out-of-market, it's finding as many streams as you can. Um, Steven Carr, escargo on Twitter, if you don't follow him, obviously the former host of Locked on Zags. He's been really good the first couple games this season of tweeting out where games are going to be available if there are out-of-market streams as well. So I would check that out. Try to find it as best you can. But yeah, this is a problem that doesn't have an easy solution and I don't imagine it's going to be one that's solved anytime super soon, unfortunately. All right. That is it for today. All of the questions. Thank you so much. I love Mailbag Monday. You all know that. I appreciate all of your questions. Super fun week coming up here at Locked on Zags. We're going to review tonight's game against Alcorn State on Tuesday's episode. Wednesday is, of course, another look at the WCC. I'm going to wait to record late on Tuesday night because BYU and Oregon are playing in the Phil Knight Invitational, which should be a super fun game. So we'll have a nice kind of live reaction to that game as well. Of course, Andy Locks on Thursday. So get your hot takes submitted to me whenever you're thinking of them. I'll get them in the show and then we're going to preview the bellerman game on friday all of that right here on the locked on zags podcast available wherever you get your podcasts also available now on youtube another reminder podcast links will be available on twitter at locked on zags and on my personal twitter account which can be found at score zags score finally thank you for making the show your first listen of the day now is a great time to make your second listen of the day the locked on bets podcast locked on bets is your daily one-stop shop for all of your gambling needs Locked on Bets. It's hosted by your boy Q with expert analysis and insight from Lee Sterling. All right. Thank you all for listening and go Zags.